Hello and welcome to another episode of Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. I'm your host, Skylar Sig Daddy Sigmund, and this is the WrestleMania 12 review. But before I get into that, I just want to thank Tom and Corey from the Stranger Rings podcast once again for joining me on the show to do that WrestleMania 21 review that dropped earlier this week. I had a ton of fun with it. Definitely recommend checking out their podcast. They do lots of great stuff, including uh, classic pay-per-view reviews, uh, worst of wrestling, watch-alongs, along with hidden gems, and they kind of look at the wacky and wild uh, stuff from the world of professional wrestling. Make sure to check them out. They're on Twitter at Stranger Rings One, and check out their podcast, the Stranger Rings Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. But this WrestleMania 12 review is the last one of this retro pay-per-view review series here on Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show for the WrestleMania season. We'll definitely be doing more retro pay-per-view reviews here in the future, but this will be the last WrestleMania one done for quite a while. So far, we've done WrestleMania number one, WrestleMania 24, WrestleMania 10, and the latest one, WrestleMania 21. You can find all those in the archives at... uh, on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, And uh, you can listen to all the other episodes and other retro pay-per-view reviews like uh, WCW Slamboree 2000 or another ECW. We have ECW pay-per-view, retro pay-per-view reviews as well. But here, it's WrestleMania number 12. Let's get this thing a-rolling. WrestleMania 12 takes place, took place at Arrowhead Pond in Anaheim, California, March 31st, 1996, an attendance of 18,853. Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler are on on commentary. And the first comment I've got to make is, Vince McMahon's commentary is not for everyone. It's not for me. It's a little too extra, but a lot of people get the nostalgic feel with Vince. Completely understandable. But to kick off things, we get a very cool package highlighting the 60-minute Iron Man WWE Championship main event coming up later in the night. And some other notes on this show before we really get the first match rolling. It's the third lowest buy rate of the pay-per-view era in WrestleMania history. So this one did just 290,000 buys, the third lowest. Uh, second, third lowest, the second lowest, WrestleMania 2 with just 250,000 buys, and then WrestleMania 13 was the lowest with 237,000 buys. But you know what that was during? That was in the midst of the domination, of WCW's domination over Monday Night Raw. This card had seven matches on it. The first one being the six-man tag, Vader, Accompanied by Jim Cornette, it's a six-man tag. Vader, the British Bulldog, and Owen Hart taking on Ahmed Johnson, Jake Roberts, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Yokozuna uh, with Mr. Fuji showing up during the earlier portions, well, showing up sometime during this match. And the stipulation is if Jim Jim Cornette's team loses, Yokozuna gets five minutes all to himself with Mr. Cornette. One note I had during this was Owen Hart's music. Gotta love it. I absolutely love Owen Hart's music here. Uh, 
story is Yoko turned on his former manager, Jim Cornette, because if you remember correctly, during the WrestleMania 10, two years earlier, he was accompanied by both Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette. We start out here with Vader and Yoko going toe-to-toe. And the way this match rolls along is pretty much the heels get a heat segment on each of the three competitors. So at one point, Yoko's getting dominated by Owen, Vader, and the Bulldog. Uh, Owen, I feel like, carries the action throughout this match. At one point, Yoko's getting dominated by Vader. And Yoko gets the hot tag after hits an Uranagi on Vader, which actually shakes the ring. It was a really good camera shot in there. Uh, then we get Ahmed in the ring. Uh, he comes in with some stiff rights, uh, power slam to Bulldog. Then Vader illegally knocks down Ahmed, which then Ahmed counters the su- sit down on the sunset flip. Big clothesline takes down Vader. Vader. Then Corny distracts Ahmed, which switches the momentum. Eventually, Ahmed hits the scoop slam double underhook, but Cornette then distracts the official, Ahmed. I mean, not the official, but Ahmed. And Owen hits a drop kick off the top rope on Ahmed. Heels are in control here. Vader hits a big splash. Vader whips him off the ropes and smashes Ahmed down. And then Ahmed eventually no-sells a clothesline. Owen goes for another. And then Ahmed hits the clothesline. Tags Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake the Snake's Comes in with the lefts and rights. Short arm clothesline to Owen. Owen counters the DDT. Then Owen gets his knee up as Jake charges in the corner. And then Jake, he's getting dominated here at this point. Then eventually, Vader hits a scoop slam and then a top rope elbow drop by Owen. And then Owen works a submission on Jake. Eventually, Bulldog comes back in. Hits a running power slam for a near fall. Big splash from Vader. And there's another tag to Bulldog. Bulldog misses with an elbow drop, which shifts the momentum. And then Jake tags Yokozuna, who is huge at this point. I gotta say that. Yoko is big, but he's still pretty agile at this point in time. But Yoko's hammering away at Vader in the corner. There, It was a big pop for that. This was a good opener. I gotta say this. This was a good, this was an entertaining opener. Got the crowd primed and ready. It just felt that as I, as I go through the rest of this review of this WrestleMania... This felt like it was just a one or two match show. It, it just didn't feel like these matches were WrestleMania caliber, the rest of these. But we, after that, we get Yoko hammering away at Vader in the corner. And the splash in the corner on by Yoko. He takes out both Owen and Davey on the apron. Then Jake gets tagged in. Jake goes for the... DDT on Owen, but Bulldog stops it. Ahmed then takes Bulldog out of the ring. DDT to Owen, and the ref is distracted. Shot to the stomach of Cornette. Goes for the DDT. Vader smashes him, and then we get the Vader bomb on Jake, and they get the win. The heels get the win at 12 minutes and 51 seconds. And like I said, I thought this was a nice little opener. There were some good pops here during this match. The heat segment might have lasted a little bit too long. Each heel got heat. Each the heels got heat on each guy, which was a different kind of thing. We usually don't see that during tag team matches like this. But I really it, I, it made sense and it was actually decent. But I just thought it was a little too long. But uh, and the, there was the big pops during this were the when Yoko got the hot tag and Jake hit the DDT. 
And I thought this was a good primer for the uh, rest of the card on WrestleMania 12. And I felt like Owen did a really good job of carrying the action. Vader more than held his own in there as well. And uh, I just wanted to do this moving forward. We talked about this during the uh, WrestleMania 21 podcast with the Stranger Rings podcast. Uh, Meltzer gave it two and a half stars. And I got to say, I can't really disagree with that. I thought it was a decent tag team match to kick off the show. And then we get a video package after that for the backlot brawl. And I, I don't know if I gave the grade for the first match, but I gave it a B minus. I gave the opener a B minus. But after that, we do get the video package for the Hollywood backlot brawl between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Gold Dust. Actually, then we get the beginning of this, which is an interesting little backstory because this was taped two and a half weeks prior to WrestleMania. And we get the first shot where Wrestle, where not WrestleMania, but where Piper, he's out there waiting with a baseball bat in hand. And they reference this in Piper's book, in Goldust's book, Dustin Rhodes' book. Uh, This first part of the brawl was pretty much a one-take thing. So all this crazy stuff that happened, it was in one take. So, and Piper, by the end of this, ends up breaking his, uh, breaking one of his knuckles. And that's according to his daughter and or son uh, that they talked about in Piper's book. But, uh. Gold Dust, he comes in, screeching in in a gold caddy. Fantastic. Piper soaks the car with a hose and then breaks the windows with the bat. They're brawling by the vehicle. Piper chokes him with the bat. Then Piper smashes Gold Dust into a catering table and with food items. Just convenient catering table out there. And then smashes him with a trash can. Piper's dominating here. And then Piper throws him into a garbage... Uh, a dumpster not into the dumpster but like throws him in it at it and uh wets him with the hose again piper slams gold dust onto the vehicle onto the gold caddy piper then drills gold dust with a stiff punch on the car these are like these weren't just like these weren't working punches piper legit hit him hard and you can hear like the thud on the broadcast if you check it out on peacock uh and then he hit another one after Goldust fell off the car for good measure. Measure, And then Piper, apparently, Vince says Piper opens up his own hand. I don't know if he opened up his own hand, but whatever. Continue. Uh, Goldust then hits a low blow, and Goldust throws Piper into uh, uh, the dumpsters again. And then Piper backs into a Ford Bronco. And if you remember around this time, it was... O.J. Simpson, he that his uh his murder trial. He also had that infamous chase with police in this Ford Bronco, which was pretty much the exact same Bronco, rogue-looking Bronco, same model and everything. I don't know. It definitely wasn't the same Ford Bronco that O.J. used, but whatever. Piper hits, gets hit with the caddy, and Goldust then screeches out of the studio with the Cadillac. Then Piper gets into the Bronco. Goldust hit. And then Piper is on the chase for Goldust. And this will be this is to be continued later on in the night. Up next, though, we got the million dollar champion, Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
Yes, this was during the time when he was working with the Million Dollar Man. The, he was the Million Dollar Champion at this point. His, his a graphic on the... When he came, came into the ring just said Steve Austin. So this has had to be in the earlier stages of the Stone Cold Steve Austin character because he did not have any of the same mannerisms that he had later on. Really, he would make himself a star at next year's WrestleMania at WrestleMania 13 in a classic, an absolute classic with Bret the Hitman Hart in a submission match. But uh, he's accompanied by the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase here. He's taking on Savio Vega. And before we get to the match, Doc Hendricks, a.k.a. the fabulous free bird, Michael Hayes. He's with Savio backstage. And the story is Steve Austin, they kind of got randomly paired together, I think, for a tag team tournament. And he refused to tag Savio in a tag team match on Superstars last weekend. But then this weekend, Savio saved a jobber from Steve Austin as he was applying the million-dollar dream on the jobber. But then Austin, not Austin, but Savio ended up in the million-dollar dream as well. And Doc Hendricks asks Savio, do you have a way to avoid the million-dollar dream? And Savio doesn't answer the question, really. He does not answer the question at all. Really, he just pretty much said, I'll be ready for anything. Because he spouted a bunch of I don't know what, but he got to the point at the end where it said just be he's just he's gonna be ready for anything pretty much. But uh, to open this match, Austin attacks Vega from the jump. Vega hits a sidewalk slam early. This match had really good psychology, I felt. And uh, Austin he works the arm of Vega throughout this match, but we also get cuts to a cell phone conversation with Vince. And Jerry Lawler, they're talking to Roddy Piper, who's on the chase for Gold Dust. And uh, he's talking about what he's going to be doing to him. This happens multiple times throughout the match. It's kind of distracting in a way, but I th- it, it worked. It worked in this match. But after some arm work by Steve Austin, he's working some hammer locks. Worked a hammer lock. Uh, Austin lifts him and drops him on his arm. And then second rope forearm drop for a near fall. And stomps in the corner by Austin. Vega off the ropes. Cross body for a near fall. And then Vega whips Austin off the ropes. Thez press. Then multiple pin counters by Austin and Vega. There's was a pretty good sequence there. Vega then goes for a backslide but can't hook it up. We get Bronco footage from the... Well, it was OJ's Bronco footage, and Vince at one point says this is, looks very familiar. Oh, no wonder. But uh, whip in the corner by Austin. He charges and eats a nice spinning wheel kick, heel kick from Vega. And then Austin gets his knees up on a second rope splash attempt by Savio. A small package for a two count. And then Austin's scoop slam goes all the way to the top, but eats a big boot as he dives down. Both men are down. They stir up by an eight count. And then Vega, with the rights, taking down Austin, whipping to the ropes, big, big chop, back body drop by Vega, running clotheslines. He follows it up for a with a spinning heel kick, but he hits referee Tim White on accident. So DiBiase goes and grabs the belt, big boot to the face of Austin. 
by Savio. The ref's still out at this point. DiBiase then distracts Savio. Austin grabs the belt that the million-dollar man placed in the ring, smashes Vega with it, taking him down. But then he goes onto the apron as Vega lays prone there and drops it onto him again. And then Austin locks in a sleeper on Vega. And DiBiase tries to wake up the official, and he pours pop on him to end up waking him up. Drops the hand three times, does Tim White, and Austin wins. I really like this match. I thought the psychology, the limb work by Austin was really good here. I just didn't like the finish at all. It was very anticlimactic to me. A sleeper to end a match. Unless it's your finish. I, I didn't really, I didn't like it. I didn't like the screwy finish, but I get why they did it. But I just didn't like the way... I would have, I would have been, it would have been better if they would have used the million dollar dream and he went out. It just looked like Austin put in a sleeper on him and that was it. But I thought they were having a pretty good match at this point, but yeah, I didn't like the finish. So that give, makes me give this match a C plus, but, but it was a pretty enjoyable match though. It was a pretty enjoyable match. Meltzer ended up giving it two stars in the observer and I thought that seemed fair. I would maybe go up a little bit, two and a quarter. But nothing really crazy good or anything. It was a solid match that went 10 minutes or so. Actually, it went exactly 10 minutes. But yeah, I'm going to give it a C plus. And then we get, after, then following that, we get more footage from the backlot brawl. And as I mentioned, as I referenced earlier, this this footage is awfully familiar. And then we get Mr. Perfect with Diesel. And they're talking about in your house, how Taker pulled him from underneath the ring. And it's how Taker's mind games uh, have affected him. And Nash really says they haven't affected him. And Big Daddy takes cool of you after Big Daddy takes cool of you. And he's referencing Undertaker there. He said, Sean, I'll get you next. And then it wouldn't be too long, though, after this pay-per-view that Nash and Hall would be heading off to WCW, forming the Outsiders and eventually the New World Order. Actually, about a month and a half after this, it was the famous curtain call where the wrestlers broke kayfabe in Madison Square Garden. Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash, they all broke kayfabe after a cage match. And they were hugging and embracing in the ring, exposing the business a little bit there. We'll have to get into that at some other time. But Triple H ended up buried after his involvement in it. And then we get Triple H with a very young Sable. Speaking of getting buried, it's against the Ultimate Warrior. He's taking on Triple H and the Ultimate Warrior facing off. And the Ultimate Warriors returned. It's the first time he's been in a WWE ring in over three years. At this point, he's the Triple H is the aristocrat at this point. Uh, he's accompanied by a very young Sable. And Ultimate Warrior, he milks his entrance for all that it's worth. And I thought it went way too long. Way too long. He was milking it. And he learned from the best. Hulk Hogan at milking your entrance. But uh, Triple H, to open the match, jumps Warrior from behind to start it. This doesn't go very long. Uh, Triple H dominant in the early going. 
Ultimate Warrior ducks a clothesline, but Hunter Hearst Helmsley eats the boot, hits the boot, and then the pedigree on Warrior. And you know what Warrior does here? He totally no-sells. Of course. Way to bury a guy's finisher. And then Warrior hits the right hands, three running clotheslines, follows it up with a big shoulder block, then Gorilla presses, tri trips, and then hits the big running splash from the Warrior, and he covers Triple H with his knees on his chest and throat, and that's it. It gets him the win, and absolutely buries a young talent in the process. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I don't know if they, Triple H ever went this extreme, but... And I don't think Triple H... Triple H at least gave guys offense. Triple H pretty much got no offense and his finisher got absolutely no sold here. Whatever. This is a complete burial here. And I'm going to give it a D-. From the no-sell to the finisher of the finisher to the complete squashing of Triple H. This is where... This is one of the many cases where WWE really screws up the booking. And makes an up-and-comer look like an absolute chump. Oh, wait. Oh, I remember that. Brock against Ricochet. That's one. Uh, Goldberg versus The Fiend. That's another. Wait a minute. This all happened in the last two years. Huh. This has always been the case. This is nothing new. Oh, well, though. Meltzer? He gave it a dud. I gave it a D-, minus. so I feel like that's a pretty fair assessment. And I agree with it. I could have almost given it negative stars. But I, the only thing that kept this from being an F, in my opinion, was the crowd. And that's literally it. Then we get Pettengill in the back with the new signing, the new signing, Wildman Mark Marrow. And Marrow says he, it couldn't be a better day to arrive in the WWF than at the Super Bowl of Sports and Entertainment. And Pettengill asks him if or asks him if he's up for the challenge. And then Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the loser of the last match, interrupts the interview and says this is all Sable's fault. And what it turned out, it was Merrill was married to Sable. But uh, Merrill tries to help out, but eats a punch from Trips. And then Merrill and Trips go into a brawl on the brawl in the backstage area. Ends up in a garage door. They end up rolling around brawling. And then they have to have somebody separate them as we get more footage from the Ford Bronco. After that, though, we get the big Haas battle of the night. Big Daddy Cool Diesel taking on The Undertaker with Paul Bearer. And on Diesel's ring attire, it says Big D, which could mean one thing or another. Big Dave and Busters? That'd be more Big DB. Uh, Big Diesel? Well, yeah, that's the name. Big Diesel. Or Big Destroyer. Big... Nah, I'm not going to go there. But here we go. Taker comes out. He has great purple and black tie. I love this attire from The Undertaker. He's got the purple gloves. Love that look. Uh, they're trading heavy strikes early on. At one point, Taker hits him with the rights later on in the match. Uh, one takes Diesel out of the ring. Taker runs Diesel back first into the post. Then Taker grabs a chair. This is the turning point of the match. 
Taker misses with the chair shot, then a knee to the gut by Diesel. Irish whip into the steel barricade, and then Diesel's dominating at this point. Diesel 10 takes Taker back into the post twice, back into the ring. Big boot from Diesel off an Irish whip. Then Diesel talk, taunting Taker and really, really in control at this point of the match. Uh, Diesel hits a sidewalk slam, showboats with the cover. Taker gets his shoulder up at two. Then Diesel hits a snake, guys, runs and sits down on a prone Taker, leaning against the second rope. And at one point, Taker starts to fight back. Uh, simultaneous big boots to each wrestler. Knocks each other, knocks them down. Both are down, and the ref counts to gets to a count of eight before Undertaker sits up. Then Diesel hits Taker from behind, whips him into the turnbuckle, and locks in a bear hug. At this point, Taker's fading. Ear clap by Taker. Side headlock by Diesel. And at one point, this is a great Lawler line. You got him, baby! Guess he was referring to Adam Cole, but Adam Cole was only about, what, seven years old at this point. But, uh, oh well. It was just the future. Pointing to the future. But we get a back suplex from Taker. Taker is the first one up. Elbow drop to Diesel by Taker. Taker then heads up top. Big clothesline from the top. Diesel barely kicks out of it. Here we get towards the finish here. Taker sets up for a back body drop. Club to the back by Diesel. Followed up by the jackknife power bomb, And that's the... That was that should be the final cigar, but no, Diesel doesn't cover him. Playing, he's playing mind games. Diesel take kicks at Taker. Taker ain't isn't moving here. Taker then sits up. Diesel does his one arm raise taunt, then hits a second jackknife on Taker. Still doesn't cover him for some reason or another, which I thought was absolutely dumb. But then he taunts Paul Bear. Diesel then finally goes to cover. Gets goozled for a second. Fights out. Goozled again. Diesel then fights out, but then after the third goozling, Taker gets back on his feet. Diesel fights out, back suplexes Taker, but then Taker sits up again. And then Diesel, he taunts with his back turned to Taker. Taker with some big strikes. Whip into the corner, whip into the ropes by Diesel after reversal. Big flying clothesline from Taker. And then Taker is like, yep, time to go home here. Choke slam from Taker, does his taunt to the urn, and then the throat slash tombstone to the to the big daddy cool and that's it at 16 minutes and 46 seconds the longest match of the night at this point i thought this is a pretty solid big man match i'm gonna give it a b minus the only thing i disliked about this match was diesel not covering which is absolutely stupid. He hits both of his, fin he hits two finishers, and he doesn't cover them either time. Well, he covers them the second time, but waited about two hours until to cover them, which made him kind of look stupid. But other than that, I thought this was a pretty good big guy match, uh, big man match, big meat man match, and I was going to give it, I'm going to give it a B minus. Meltzer, he ended up giving it two and a half, two and a quarter stars in the Observer. I would have given it around two and a half or so. I think this was honestly the second best in-ring match of the night, but the second best match overall of the night, most entertain second most entertaining match of the night wasn't even really a match. So we get get sent back to the backlot brawl, and we've got Pettengill on security control, watching security control. And Piper and Goldust are on their way back into the arena, 
back towards the arena. Piper parks right on the driver's side door of the caddy as they get to the arena. Piper, not Piper, but Goldust is with Marlena. Piper's giving Goldust chase. They're now on the ramp. Piper has him exactly where he wants him. Then Piper catches him, and then they're in the ring. They trade rights, and they're just fighting. It's just a brawl at this point. Goldust at one point takes out Piper's leg. Piper's selling the heck out of the leg here. Goldust just wrecking Piper. Leg drops to the groin of Piper. Piper gets some chance. He's trying, the fans are trying to wheel him back in. Then Goldust sets up for a pile driver or something. This is the weird Goldust, the androgynous Goldust at this point. And he rubs his hands all over Piper's backside as he's setting him up for a pile driver or something. And then Piper fights out. Goldust then rips Piper's shirt off and chokes him with it. Goldust then slams Piper's injured leg into the post. Piper fires up for a second, but he can't. He is the weight of the his injured knee is not functioning correctly. Piper then collapses. Goldust mounts him, and he's doing all that weird gyrations and stuff on top of Piper. Not sure if Goldust would work in today's day and age. I don't know. It certainly would be interesting. At one point, Goldust teases a kiss. Goldust then heads up top. Piper shakes the ropes and crotches Goldust. And then he delivers some headbutts to him, to the bizarre one. But Goldust then kisses him. Piper no-sells. Piper's now angry. Grabs the grapefruits of Goldust, the good old grapefruit claw. And the fans are certainly fired up for this as Piper was uh, president, interim WWF president at this point. Uh, Goldust hits the knee drop on Piper. Actually, Gold, uh, Piper hits the gold. Piper hits Goldust with a knee drop and then slaps Goldust's ass. And then Piper disrobes Goldust, revealing women's lingerie on Goldust. That was certainly, certainly a sight to see. And something I probably never have to see again. Or never want to see again. Certainly ahead of its time. That was even before the Attitude Era. That Goldust character was introduced. Just crazy. But we get another knee drop to the groin of Goldust by Piper. Marlena and Goldust then scurry away as Marlena tries to cover her real-life husband at that point up. But so for the Hollywood Backlot Brawl, this was so far ahead of its time, really. Because this would lead into cinematic matches we'd get into the future. Honestly, it would. If you, if you look at this, this is almost like an early cinematic match. If you look at it from that vantage point. And really, I'm going to give it a B plus. I thought this was a lot of fun. And gosh, so far ahead of its time. And I don't know. It was, it was just a ton of fun. I really enjoyed it. I definitely... This is the one of the two things that I would be like, all right, go back and watch this from WrestleMania 12 because this is entertainment at its finest. And this is just a nasty fight too as well. And one weird thing we get here is Michael Cole narrating the video package ahead of our big main event, the 60-minute Iron Man match. There's two times where I hear Michael Cole's... Michael Cole's like... A voiceover during this and I'm like I looked it up I don't think Cole debuted in the worked for the WWF until 1997 so 
I feel like this is an edit they made over something else. But just thought that was kind of a weird thing. And uh, look forward to hearing Michael Cole tonight at WrestleMania 37. We'll always love his commentary. And if you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice, well, too bad. But now we get the main event. The 60-minute Iron Man match for the WWF Championship. Brett, def- Brett the Hitman Hart, defending his WWF Championship against the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. And he's accompanied by Jose Lothario. And Shawn Michaels earned his way into this match by winning the 1996 Royal Rumble match. Before the match, we get comments from, bro- from both Brett and Shawn. And then we get some we get the iconic HBK entrance. We get Jose Lothario, Lothario showing up and was like, oh, Jose Lothario is going to be competing in the main event against Brett the Hitman Hart. No, that's not it. Lothario would go up into the corner. He'd point up to the sky or the top of the arena, and we'd see Shawn Michaels on a zip line, zip lining his way down towards the ring in an epic entrance at WrestleMania 12, an iconic entrance. We'd also saw a returning WWF president. The interim one was Roddy Piper, but Monsoon was the actual one. He returns here, and Lothario, like I said, enters first. And we get pre-match instructions from Earl Hebner here. And I thought this made it really feel like a big-time match. This felt like like a fight, like a... It felt it made it, it was a big fight feel. It made it feel like it was a huge deal, which it certainly was. We hadn't seen a 60-minute Iron Man match on any WWF WWE thing at this point. But early on we get a lot of Matt wrestling. The first 20 minutes or so is Matt wrestling Brett. He works a side headlock for a while and then Michaels he works the hammerlock and Michaels is continuing to work the arm of Brett the Hitman Hart at one point at about 14 minutes 14 and a half minutes in we get a nip up from Hart and then a side headlock off the ropes drop down Brett catches HBK and slams him down he goes for the sharpshooter Michaels escapes Brett clotheslines him over the top rope then HBK Throws him into the ring post. Brett's sitting on the timekeeper. And then HBK accidentally super kicks the timekeeper. Which he looks like he absolutely drills him. And then we get a forearm drop. Into the back of the head of HBK. And Brett works a chin lock. Lots of submission stuff early on. Lots of rest holds. But I like it that it made sense. At least from a psychology standpoint. They're pacing themselves in this match. Because they know they've got to go 60 minutes. And I like that they kind of traded off working limbs. So Brett was working the head and neck. He was trying to suck the life out of Shawn Michaels using the rear chin lock. And then Michaels was working the arm of Brett the Hitman Hart. But at about 20 minutes, HBK fights out of the chin lock. He runs off the ropes. Brett tries to lift him. But then HBK runs Brett into the rope. Drop kick. Followed up by the arm bar by HBK. That's 20 minutes into the match. Then Brett escapes, puts in a headlock for a moment. But HBK grabs onto the hammer lock once again. The first match, first half of the match, like I said, lots of submission work. 
Eventually, we get Brett hitting an inverted atomic drop and a running clothesline. This is close to 30 minutes in. Brett then hits the running bulldog, hits the top rope. HBK hit, meets him there. Brett then drives the knee in the back of the head of HBK, taking the ref out as well. And then HBK throws Brett off the ropes, hits a power slam on Brett, switches momentum for a little bit. Michaels then hits a, Michaels moments later hits a leg drop. Actually, Brett hits a leg drop. Brett then heads up top again. Then HBK slams him off the ropes. And then uh, Sean hits a Hurricane Rana and mounted punches. Moments later, Michaels dives onto Brett on the outside. We get that famous dive we've seen in video packages all over the place. And these two, gosh, they know how to work together. These guys had so, these guys had great chemistry. And you saw matches prior to this at WrestleMania that you're like, oh, these guys are capable of having a fantastic wrestling match at anything, at any show, even at WrestleMania. Like, two years earlier, Brett and Owen, in the probably the greatest opener in pay-per-view history, and we also get in that same WrestleMania, WrestleMania 10, we get Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon in the in that famous ladder match. They both deliver at the biggest stages. Shawn Michaels, a year later at WrestleMania 11, gives Diesel probably one of his best matches ever. Brett, also before that, at a WrestleMania 8, if, I'm, if I remember correct, had a classic match with Rowdy Roddy Piper. These guys are capable of putting on a classic. They did put on one here. Not like all-time greatest WrestleMania match ever. I'm not going to say that. But this was a great WrestleMania match. But uh, after the Hurricane Rana and Mounted Punches, Brett gets thrown off the ropes. Brett then hooks the ropes, gets a backbreak, eats a backbreaker from HBK for a near fall. Back elbow by HBK. HBK goes for sweet chin music. Brett then powders to the outside. That's after the that's before that big dive I just mentioned. And then at one point, Brett HBK hits a 30 hits a fisherman suplex at the 35 minute mark. Gets another near fall at that point. And the big turning point in this is Brett gets thrown into the buckle. Brett backdrops HBK over the uh, top rope and out of the ring. And this meant the attack on HBK's back before he was known to have back issues. Because Brett, he's just attacking the back of HBK and we've got 20 minutes to go and Brett's just on the attack, works a camel clutch at one point. Uh, HBK fights back for a moment, gets a sunset flip for a near fall. Brett has not even tried to lock in the sharpshooter here, which I thought that was a kind of cool, honestly, because he just waited until the right time to lock it in, and he certainly did. When he when he did, it was a big deal when he locked it in. He had fans waiting. He's like, okay, come on, we need to get the sharpshooter. We need to get the sharpshooter sometime, and he kept him on the edge. And he finally, when he got the opportunity to lock it up, he did lock it up. But that was a little bit later 
on in the match. Uh, before that, there was a hard Irish whip into the corner by Brett, which sent HBK over the top into Lothario. Then Hart whips HBK into the steps and hits Lothario once again. And we've got 15 minutes left. And Brett gets HBK back into the ring for a near fall after a belly-to-belly suplex. And this is where things really start picking up. So HBK starts fighting back. Shots in the back gives Brett the advantage once again. Brett with some hard shots in the corner. HBK floats over on a suplex attempt. An O'Connor roll for a near fall. Beautiful. Brett Hart then kicks HBK out of the ring on the kick out. Then Brett hits a tope suicida on the outside. And then Brett, throughout this match, he is a little bit aggressive. He does show a lot of aggression. Like he's like just showing hints of aggression. I don't say a lot of aggression, but he's showing hints of aggression here and pretty much making him the de facto heel at this point because really it's a babyface versus babyface match. But Brett is kind of leaning more into the heel side of things during this. But at one point... After that, Brett, there's some standing switches. Brett hits a beautiful bridging German for a near fall. HBK on his knees. He's trading rights with Brett, who's standing. Brett then with boots and punches, headbutt by Hart. Brett then locks in a camel clutch for another, for another time. And there's this is with 10 minutes left in the match. And Lawler, during this point, mentions the click, which I talked about earlier on this uh, podcast. But uh, at the at the 7.30 mark, HBK escapes a double down. HBK escapes, actually, the chin lock and hit, hits Bret Hart with a clothesline. They both hit they both hit each other with clotheslines, actually, with 7.30 left. And then Bret sets HBK on the top rope. Bret hits the top rope superplex on HBK, and the anticipation is looming. Is somebody going to get a pinfall in this last 10 minutes? Six minutes to go. Brett finally goes for the sharpshooter, but HBK fights him off. Then Brett can't lock in a figure four, so he goes to another submission. He goes for the single leg crab. Then Michaels gets the ropes. Brett hits the backbreaker. Second rope dives off, but eats a big boot from HBK five minutes to go, under five minutes to go. Drop kick by HBK. Then he sends Brett into the corner. Forearm into the corner by HBK. Irish whips Brett, and Brett goes chest first into the turnbuckle. That always looks rough. And then we get an Irish whip counter by Brett. HBK hits his signature forearm. Nip up by Sean. Whip off the ropes. Back elbow to Brett. Scoop slam by HBK. And he goes up to the top rope. And he gets the double axe handle for a two count. Then a suplex. Follows it up with a suplex. Does Sean Michaels. He heads up top once again. Then hits that patented elbow drop. Brett kicks out at two and a half. With two minutes and 15 to go. HBK then gets a gut wrench sent out powerbomb, which I don't think I've ever seen him hit in my life. He doesn't even cover there, but then he goes for a top rope moonsault. He lands on a standing Brett for another near fall. We're at about minute 20 to go after Brett whips Sean into the ropes. And Sean gets the boot up. And Hurricane Rana into a pin by HBK for another near fall. And Sean then goes for another scoop slam, collapses, after, though, after from exhaustion, under a minute to go. He goes off the top rope. Brett catches him, though, and locks in the sharpshooter in the middle of the ring with around 30 seconds to go. And Brett has this locked up in the middle of the ring for over 30 seconds. No falls, still in this match. And then time runs out. 
Zero falls to zero. Brett grabs his title, thinking he's retained his title after going to a draw with the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, and Monsoon goes out and talks to the official as Brett gets out of the ring and up the ramp. Finkel then announces the great Howard Finkel. He says, has been ordered to continue under sudden death rules. And Brett is angry. And Brett gets back into the ring, tells the official to ring the bell. Brett attacks the back of Sean, whips HBK into the ropes, back body drop to the heartbreak kid. Then a backbreaker by Brett. This happens all in about a minute, This a span of a minute, 25 seconds after the bell rings. All this coming up too as well. Uh, Irish whip into the corner by Brett. HBK hits a float over. Sean hits sweet chin music out of nowhere. Sean collapses. Both men are down. HBK crawls towards the corner. He gets up. Hits another sweet chin music. And gets the one, the two, and the three. And he's the new WWF champ at one hour, one minute, and 25 seconds. And I've got to say, this was a great match. I liked how they built up to the end throughout it. I know it's not going to be for some people. Like, because people, they were working first, they were working submissions through the first half of it, kind of working different body parts. And I, I, I liked that, honestly. Some people won't. They, some people will think that it's boring. But I understood it with the pacing of this which they ended up building up to a fever pitch into the last 15, 20 minutes of the match. I thought it was really good. And I love that Brett waited until the perfect moment to lock in the sharpshooter. And honestly, this hour seemed to breeze by. I was watching it this morning, and it just seemed like the hour flew by very, very quickly. I thought this was paced well, formatted well. And I'm going to give this... And hey, it's a classic WrestleMania match that you have to go check out because you don't see... This is the only one-hour Iron Man match in WrestleMania history. And I don't know if there's really very many Iron Man matches in WrestleMania history in general, if I can't remember off the top of my head. But I don't remember too many Iron Man matches taking place at WrestleMania and none to this magnitude. And it's just... It's just amazing how these two were able to go an hour. But if anybody was to go an hour at this point in time in the WWF, it was these two guys. These were two of the best workers. Brett, one of the best technicians ever. Shawn Michaels, one of the best all-around professional wrestlers of all time. I know they didn't get along later on. They didn't get along very well, I don't think, at this point either as well. But 1997, they didn't get along. But these two put on a hell of a match, told a hell of a story, and I'm going to give it an A grade. Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer gave this four and one quarter stars. I disagree with it a little bit. I'd say more so four and a half. I wouldn't put this as the best WrestleMania match in history. It's in the top... 10, 5, it's in that area. It's definitely not the top WrestleMania match of all time, but I'd definitely put it, I'd say, solidly in the top 10, and it's not number 10, for sure. It's a classic WrestleMania match. It's special because it's the only 60-minute Iron Man match in WrestleMania history, 
and these two put on one hell of a show. At after the match, Brett walks off angry, and Sean, you see on the video on the uh, on video that he pushes Earl out of the ring, and Sean celebrating. As we close out the show, Brett's family even congratulates the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. And we get the WrestleMania highlight reel with the WrestleMania Pump It Up, Pump It Up song on there as well. But overall grade for this WrestleMania. Honestly, I'd give it a B-. This was honestly a one-match show. This was just a one-match show, one to two match show. Let's say we'll count the backlot brawl as well. Because everything really in this match was building up to the main event, which was the 60 minute Iron Man match. But this and the backlot brawl were fantastic. I give the backlot brawl a B. It was early on in the cinematic, it was like one of the first cinematic matches ever. I should have given it a higher grade, honestly. Yeah, I'm just going to stick with my grade, stick to my guns. I'm going to give it a B. But still, it's must-watch because it's kind of the early stages of cinematic matches. You didn't see this very often in WWE until now. So this is kind of, it's kind of a landmark moment with this Hollywood backlot brawl. Definitely check that out. Also, check out the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, 60-minute Iron Man match. But other than that, everything on this show is kind of forgettable as it was just all setting up for the main event. But still, I'm going to give it a B-. And, uh, yep, that's my grade for it. Well, yep, that's going to do it. That's the last WrestleMania review, the retro WrestleMania review of WrestleMania season, as we're just a few hours away at the time of this recording, away from... The from night one of WrestleMania 37, I sure enjoyed doing all these WrestleMania reviews, looking back on past WrestleManias. I hope you enjoyed them as well, and thank you for anyone who has listened to these uh, retro WrestleMania reviews. I really enjoyed them. Uh, thank you to Jeremy for joining me on a couple of them. Thank you to Tom and Corey once again from the Stranger Rings podcast for joining me on them as well. More content coming your way in the coming weeks. I haven't decided on what that's going to be yet moving forward. We'll definitely have more retro pay-per-view reviews in the future. So yeah, stay tuned for those along with other great content here on Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. I'll keep you updated on Twitter on what that content will be moving forward. So yeah, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Sig Daddy Wrestle. On Facebook at SigDaddyWrestle as well. And on Instagram at SigDaddy.Wrestle. If you like the show, make sure to leave it a five-star review as well. I always enjoy getting feedback on the show. And if you haven't already, tell your friends about Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. And uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, the iHeartRadio app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, though. This is Skylar Sig Daddy Sigmund saying thanks for listening and so long, everybody. <laughs>